Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this week's episode, we are going to be finishing up our sermon series called No Easy Answers. And all throughout the series, we've been wrestling with a problem that has no easy answer, and that's the problem of pain. So over the last couple of episodes, we've been trying to figure out how we can all deal with the pain we experience in our lives. And we've been doing that by taking a closer look at how Jesus dealt with the pain that he experienced while he walked this earth, especially during his crucifixion. And in this week's episode, we're going to continue to do that. We're going to take a closer look at one of the things that Jesus says as he's dying on the cross to see what it can teach us about how we can deal with pain in our lives. So let's get right into to this episode's sermon. wrestling with the problem of pain because we all experience pain in our lives. Every one of us has attended the funeral of someone that we love. Every one of us has watched as a family member or a friend has suffered in a hospital bed. Every one of us has bit our tongue or stepped our toe, twisted our ankle, or gotten the flu. Every one of us has experienced pain in our lives. And because we have all experienced pain and we will all continue to experience pain, means that we have to find a way to deal with our pain. So that's what we've been trying to do over the last few weeks here at Melbourne Heights. And especially last week, we started talking about what we can do, how we can respond to the pain in our lives. And we did that by taking a closer look at how Jesus responded to the pain that he experienced while he walked this earth, especially the pain he experienced on the cross. So this morning, we're once again, we're going to be diving in and we're going to take a closer look at one of the things that Jesus said as he was dying on the cross to see what we can learn from him. But before we dive into what Jesus said while he was dying on the cross, we actually need to take a step back for just a minute. We need to talk about something else. Because before we can talk about how Jesus responded to the pain that he experienced on the cross, we need to take a minute and talk about what that actual pain on the cross was like. And we need to do that because if we are being completely honest this morning, we have sterilized the cross. We have sterilized the cross. We've sterilized the cross and we've turned it into the pristine white symbol that we stick on top of buildings so that people will know that they're a church. We've sterilized the cross and we've turned it into tiny little silver or gold trinkets that we wear around our necks so that others will know that we're good people. We've sterilized the cross and we've turned it into a marketing tool that we slap on the websites or on bumper stickers so that, we'll keep, so that people will implicitly trust our company, even if our companies aren't trustworthy. So we have sterilized the cross. And today, we take a step back for just a minute. And we need to try to de-sterilize our perception of the cross. So to help us do that, in just a minute, we're going to show you a picture. And I want to show you this picture because it starts to erase some of the misconceptions that we have when we see crosses in the world around us today. Now, this picture comes from the 2004 movie, The Passion of the Christ. And even though it is just an artistic interpretation of what Jesus' crucifixion may have looked like, this artistic representation does a better job of showing us what the cross was really like than the pristine white crosses that we stick on top of our steeples today. So David, go ahead and put that picture up for everyone to see. 
know this isn't an easy picture to look at. And just by looking at this picture, you can tell that the cross wasn't pretty. Just by looking at this picture, you can tell that the cross wasn't elegant. Just by looking at this picture, you can tell that the cross was bloody, the cross was brutal, the cross was nothing but pain. What we need to remember when we talk about the cross is that it was an implement of mass execution that was used throughout the Roman Empire for 800 years. And over the course of those 800 years, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people undoubtedly died on a cross. As a matter of fact, after Israel's final failed rebellion against the Roman Empire, their final failed attempt to try to overthrow Rome, was said that there were so many people crucified in the city of Jerusalem that there wasn't enough wood left to build another cross. Think about that for just a second. And even if it is hyperbolic, it still is telling for us. But it was said that after Israel's final failed rebellion against Rome, there were so many people crucified in the city of Jerusalem they ran out of wood. That tells us is that the cross was undoubtedly Rome's preferred method of capitalization. But why? was the cross, Rome's preferred method of capital punishment. Well, the Roman emperor Tiberius, who also just so happened to be the emperor of Rome when Jesus was crucified, was said to be fond of crucifixion because it prolonged a victim's agony without granting them the release of death. And in Tiberius's mind, death was just an escape, so he didn't actually think that an execution was punishment. In order for an execution to be a punishment, Tiberius believed that that person experiencing it, the victim, needed to suffer as much as they possibly could before they died. And the cross did that. This is why Josephus, who is probably the best-known historian of his time, calls the cross the most pitiable of deaths. Crucifixion is a horrifying way. Crucifixion was a terrifying way to die. Crucifixion was an excruciatingly painful way to die. And Truman Davis, who is a medical doctor, has actually researched and studied what it was like to die on the cross. And he writes about what Jesus would have experienced during his crucifixion. I just want to share with you part of what Dr. Davis writes. He writes, it's the arms fatigue. Great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability for a person to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms and pectoral muscles, which are the muscles that connect your chest and your arms, are paralyzed, and the intercostal muscles, which are the muscles that run in between your ribs, are unable to act. Air can be drawn into your lungs, but it can't be so Jesus fights to raise himself up in order to get even one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide would build up in his lungs and in his bloodstream, and the cramps would partially subside. Spasmatically, he's able to push himself upward to exhale and to breathe in another breath of life-giving oxygen. How 
hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a deep, crushing pain in the chest as the pericardium, which is the membrane that encloses the heart, slowly fills with serum and begins to compress his heart. At that point, it's almost over. The loss of tissue fluid would reach a critical level. The compressed heart would be struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs would be making a frantic effort to gasp in even small gulps of air. The markedly dehydrated tissues would send their flood of stimuli to the brain. Ultimately, fatigue or intense pain or muscle atrophy would cause the victim of a crucifixion to not be able to lift themselves up any longer to take in another breath of air. So victims of crucifixion would die from a lack of oxygen. They would suffocate to death on the cross. That's the physical pain that Jesus experienced on the cross. But Jesus experienced more than just physical pain during his crucifixion. If you remember the events that lead up to Jesus' crucifixion, then you also remember that in the, in the moments leading up to his crucifixion, Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends and turned over to the government to be killed. And on top of that, all of Jesus' other disciples, all of his closest friends, abandoned him in a time when he needed them the most. So Jesus didn't just experience physical pain as he was dying on the cross. Jesus experienced psychological pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. And when you take all of this into consideration, it makes the very first thing that Jesus is reported to have said as he was dying on the cross almost unimaginable. Now, if you have your Bible with you, Turn with me to Luke chapter 23, verse 34, where we'll read the first thing that Jesus said as he was dying on the cross. And as you're finding Luke 23, verse 34, I'll just go ahead and remind you that the book of Luke is essentially a biography of Jesus. So in this book, we'll find all kinds of events that take place during Jesus' life. In the book of Luke, you can read about his birth and his baptism, his ministry and the miracles that he performed. And here we're going to read about how Jesus responded as he was dying on the cross. So let's take a look at what Luke writes in Luke 23, verse 34. We're told, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what Possibly say that? How could Jesus possibly say that? It just doesn't seem to make sense. Here Jesus is being executed by the Roman government after he had been turned over to his own people to stand trial. And Jesus asked God to forgive them. Here Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's experiencing the suffering that goes with his arms getting tired with muscle cramps going all through his body. 
and he prays for the people who put him on the cross. Here Jesus is struggling to lift himself up to take another breath while his heart is working overtime just to keep blood flowing through his body. And Jesus asks God to forgive the people who put him there. Here Jesus is hanging on the cross after one of his closest friends has betrayed him to the authorities and the rest of his friends have abandoned him in a time when he needs them the most. And he asks God to forgive them. In the face of a pain that I can't even begin to imagine, nor do I want to even try to comprehend. Jesus' first response, his initial reaction to all the pain and suffering he's experiencing, is to forgive. But how? How can Jesus forgive? How can Jesus forgive the Roman government who ordered his execution? How can Jesus forgive the religious leaders who conspired to have him killed? How can Jesus forgive the soldiers who literally drove nails into his hands and into his feet and put him on the cross? How can Jesus forgive the people that were in the crowd that day who had mocked him, insulted him, and even called for his death? How could Jesus forgive his disciples after they all either betrayed or abandoned him? question that we need to answer. And it's a question that we need to answer because this question will help us when we have to respond to one of the greatest pains that we can experience in this world. And that's the pain that's inflicted on us intentionally by another person. So how was Jesus able to forgive these people who had put him on the cross? Well, Jesus is able Jesus is able to forgive them on everyone who played a role in his crucifixion. Jesus was able to forgive them because he never forgot that we are all children of God. Jesus was able to forgive everyone who played a part in his crucifixion because Jesus did not forget that we are all children of God. The Roman governor Pilate ordered his execution as a child of God. The religious leaders in Israel who conspired to have Jesus killed are all children of God. The Roman soldiers who carried out his execution are all children of God. The people in the crowd who mocked Jesus and insulted Jesus and called for his death are all children of God. And Jesus' disciples who abandoned him or betrayed him when he needed them the most are all children. Let's just be completely honest here. That's not the way that we like to think about people who intentionally inflict harm on us. We don't like to think that people who intentionally inflict harm on us or on other people are children of God. No, when we think about the kind of people that intentionally inflict harm on another human being, we don't want to call them children of God. We want to call them monsters. And we want to call them monsters for a reason. We want to call them monsters because we want to believe that people who can inflict harm on another human being are just different than we are. We want to believe that they have something deep 
inside of them that allows them to do these evil things that we just don't have deep down inside of us. But you know what? We're wrong. We are wrong. And there's actually scientific research that shows us that we all have this capacity to harm other people inside of us. Back in the 1960s, researchers at Yale University were trying to better understand how so many ordinary people were involved in carrying out the atrocities associated with the Holocaust. So they decided that they were going to bring in ordinary people and conduct a study with them. Now, as part of this study, all of the participants were paid four hours for one hour of their time. And during that one hour, participants were asked to deliver electric shocks to another person in another room whenever that person in that other room gave the wrong answer to a question that they were asked. And every time that that person gave a wrong answer, the voltage of the electrical shock they received was increased. And what researchers wanted to understand, what they were trying to learn, is how far we would go, how much pain an ordinary person could inflict on someone else simply because an authority figure told them to. Now, I do need to point out to you that nobody actually received any electrical shocks as part of this study, but the folks who were asked to administer the shocks, they didn't know that. And that's because they couldn't see the person that they were supposedly delivering these shocks to. All they could do was hear the way the person responded. So before their research began, the researchers at Yale, they thought the exact same thing that most of us do when it comes to the number of people who can intentionally harm someone else. They thought it would be a pretty low percentage of the total people involved in the survey and the study. As a matter of fact, the researchers for this particular study imagined that about 1% of people would be able to inflict physical harm on another, people, on another person, that they would be able to deliver an electrical shock when it reached a potentially deadly so they thought about 1% of people would be capable of delivering a potentially deadly shock to another person. When they actually conducted the study, they found out that 65% of people were able to deliver a potentially deadly electrical shock to someone else. 65% able to deliver a potentially lethal electrical shock to another human being. It's mind-blowing. But what that shows us is that all of us have the capacity to harm someone else. All of us have the capacity to inflict harm on another human being. So it really doesn't Jesus is able to forgive us when we do wrong. It doesn't make sense that Jesus is able to forgive those people who intentionally hurt him. So how is it that Jesus was able to do that? How was Jesus able to forgive these people that inflicted pain on him? Like I said, it's not easy to understand something that we have to know. We have to understand how Jesus was able to forgive because we need to be able to do the exact same thing when other people 
what Jesus remembered through all of this is that forgiveness was not about the actions. What Jesus remembered through all of this is that people, we as human beings, we aren't defined by the things that we do. Something else defines us all together. And what is it that truly defines who we are? It's not our actions. It's our God. God defines who we truly are. God defines who we really are. And I want to share with you just a couple of things that God has to say about who you are. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 4, God says that you are precious in my eyes. You are honored, and I love you. In Jeremiah 31, verse 3, God says that I've loved you with a love that will last forever. In John 3, 16, Jesus tells us that God loves you so much that he sent his only son into this world to save you. That's how God feels about you. That is never going to change. God is always going to see that you are precious in his eyes. God is always going to consider you to be one of his children. God is always going to love you. Now, here's the part part of this. God feels the exact same way about people who hurt you. The people who hurt you, God still thinks that they are precious. The people that hurt you are still children of God. The people that hurt you are still Loved by God. And because they are loved by God, God is able to forgive them. Because they are precious in God's eyes, God is able to forgive them. Because they are children of God, God is able to forgive them just like God forgives you. You know what? God wants you to be able to forgive them as well.
of saying all of that, it doesn't make forgiveness any easier, does it? Talking about forgiving the person doesn't really make it a whole lot easier than forgiving the action. And there's nothing that I can say this morning that's going to make it any easier for you. I don't have three simple steps that you can follow that will make it easier for you to forgive someone who's hurt you. I don't have any magic words that you can say that's going to make it any easier for you to forgive someone who hurt you. All I can do is challenge you to do something. All I can do is challenge you to realize this. If you need to remember that someone is a child of God in order to forgive them, then try to see everyone you meet as a child of God. Now, we're going to put it another way for you. Don't wait until you need to forgive someone to see that they are a child of God. Don't wait until you need to forgive someone to see that they are a child of God. Do it now. Do it now. And this is something that you can do today. After the service comes to an end and you go out and you get in your car and you're driving to wherever you're headed next, try to see everyone that's driving on the road with you as a child of God. When you sit down at a restaurant next to eat lunch or dinner or whatever meal you'll have next along the lines, try to see every customer that's sitting in that restaurant, every person who is working there as a server back in the kitchen or wherever else as a child of God. Next time you're out grocery shopping, Try to see the people that you're passing by as you're walking through the different aisles and the cashier and the person who's bagging your groceries at the end as a child of God. Next time you're on the phone with that customer service representative and you feel like you're getting nowhere in that conversation, try to see them as a child of God. Because that makes all the difference. When we realize that everyone that we encounter is a child of God, it's easy let go of the things that they do and remember who they really are. So treat everyone you see like they are a child of God. And you might just find that it's a little bit easier to see people the same way that Jesus does. Not by what they do, but by who they are. And that makes up all the difference. As we come to you in this word of prayer, we are so challenged by what Jesus said as he was dying on the cross. When he asked you to forgive everyone who played a part in putting him on that cross because they didn't know what they were doing. God, if Jesus was able to forgive people who played a role in his execution, then we need to be able to forgive people who hurt us. We need to be able to forgive people who may have caused things. We need to be able to forgive people who may have cut us off in traffic. We may need, we need to be able to forgive people who have shortchanged us, who treated us badly in our lives. And we need to be able to forgive people who have intentionally hurt us. Not because their actions don't have consequences, but because they are still your children. They are still precious in your eyes. They are still loved by you. So God, help us to see everyone that we meet as one of your children. Someone that you love every bit as much as you love us. God, if we can see that through your eyes, 
if we could see everyone we meet through your eyes, we could treat them the same way you treat us. Where you're not focused only on the things that we do, but you're focused on who you made us to be. Who you say that we are. So God, help us to forgive the way that you have forgiven. Help us to love the way that you love. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has challenged you to forgive others the way that God has forgiven you. And the way that to do that is to remember that everyone that we meet are all children of God. So let me challenge you to do that in whatever it is that you're doing this week. Whether you're out driving on the road, remember that those other drivers are children of God. When you're out shopping, remember the other customers are children of God. When you're out at a restaurant, remember the servers are children of God. Whoever you meet, they are all children of God. And when we can see people as children of God, people that are precious in God's sight, people that are loved by God, makes it a whole lot easier for us to love them too, instead of holding grudges and refusing to forgive them when they do wrong to us. Well, that's it for this week's episode. I hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops next Tuesday. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, it will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. Hope that you guys have a great week. I'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another Sermon Podcast.